It's Storming the Court with Ryan Connell. Welcome back into Storming the Court. Today is Tuesday, November 16th. We are officially one week into the college basketball season. I'm your host, Ryan Connell. Last week we meant to bring you an episode, but a lot of things came up where we just didn't have time to fit it in. So we apologize about not getting out those preseason predictions. On today's episode, we'll give out our preseason Final Four picks, National Champion, National Player of the Year, dive into the recap of the opening weekend, update on the latest top 25, and some of the biggest news around college basketball. So let's start with the preseason Final Four picks and National Champion plus National Player of the Year. For me, I, I think a few of these teams were, were pretty easy to pinpoint. Um, Gonzaga, number one team in the country, fresh off losing a national championship last year. I think they'll be back in the Final Four again this year. Who did they play in the Final Four last year? That was UCLA, the preseason number two team in the country. The Bruins return everybody back from their team from a year ago. They add another five-star freshman point guard. Mick Cronin's team is ready to take the next step. We'll talk a little bit more about their game against one of these other teams in just a little bit. Third team for my preseason Final Four, the Villanova Wildcats. Despite losing Jeremiah Robinson Earl, this is a team that made the Sweet 16 a year ago. Colin Gillespie, Colin Gillespie is back for a fifth year. This Villanova team is just as good as they were last season, minus Jeremiah Robinson Earl, which is a big loss, very big loss. He was the Big East player of the year, first team all Big East, helped lead them to the Sweet 16, really took over after Gillespie tore his MCL last season. But now Gillespie back at full strength, Justin Moore back at full strength, Caleb Daniels, Jay Wright. This is just what Villanova does. They're going to be a team that plays seven or eight guys, but they are going to be a hard out whoever they play. I like Villanova to get back to the Final Four again this season. And then my fourth and final team to make the Final Four in my preseason Final Four was the Duke Blue Devils. Coach Gay's final year. Paulo Bancaro, one of the top prospects and potentially the top pick in next year's NBA draft. Duke is primed and ready to have an awesome year in Coach K's final season. We saw it last Tuesday night in the Champions Classic when they beat Kentucky. Just, they look so much better. They just have, you, you know, you could tell when Duke is a good team. They kind of have that feeling. They have that buzz. And although they were a little underhyped in the preseason, they were kind of floating around number 10 in the preseason charts. Number 10 in the preseason projections, no one really was like, okay, this is not a bona fide top three or four team. I think by season's end, just based on the way that they played last week and kind of what we've seen from them, that they have the potential to get back to the Final Four, especially in Coach K's final season. You know that these players are going to be playing extra hard. You know he might get a favorable call or two. You know everyone wants to see him coach at the highest level in his final season and it wouldn't shock me if coach K has a team back in his final in the final four in his final season as the head coach of the Duke Blue Devils so that's my final four I'll run through it again that's Gonzaga UCLA Villanova and Duke for the national championship I have Villanova and UCLA I think UCLA is just arguably Top to bottom, the most balanced and best team in the country. Gonzaga is phenomenal. 
But I just think there's just something about this UCLA team. The fact that they return everyone from last year. They're back in the same spot. They have the expectations. They've lived up to the expectations. They're just a year stronger. They just, it, I don't know. There's just something about this team. I like the way that they stack up. They're a team that I have in the national championship game. And then the other is Villanova. I touched on them briefly. I think, yes, they lost Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but outside of that, they are just as good of a team. They're great on defense. They shoot the three. They control the way that they want to play. I think this has the potential to be an awesome, awesome championship matchup if we got it. They just played this past weekend. We'll talk about that game in just a bit. It was arguably the best game in the college basketball season this far, and it might not be even close to being matched in the non-conference season. We'll see with a couple more big games coming up on the horizon. But UCLA, Villanova, that's my national championship. And at the beginning of the season, before it all started, I said the Villanova Wildcats would win the 2022 national championship. That would make three national titles in the last six NCAA tournaments. I think that's very realistic. I think what Jay Wright has built at Villanova has been outstanding. This team is not as good as the 2018 team. I think they're closer to the 2016 team. They're kind of in between the two. But the 2018 team was just so loaded with Jalen Brunson and Mikhail Bridges and all, all those guys. It, Dante Givincenzo. They just did so much. I think the 2016 team was a lot more balanced with Archie Diakonu, Daniel Oshefu, Chris Jenkins. This reminds me a little bit more about uh, more of them is that Villanova could be very balanced. They have more than one guy that they could go to. They're explosive on the perimeter. They play great defense. They're going to play tough teams on the road really well. They're experienced. They have great guard play. That what that's what's that is what wins in March. I think Villanova is set up for another fantastic year. That's why they're my preseason national champion pick as they take down the UCLA Bruins. Preseason national player of the year. Going a little bit off the beaten path. The preseason national player of the year. Voted on by the media and everyone else has been Drew Timmy of Gonzaga. I'm going to go with Paulo Bancaro, the freshman star from Duke. Bancaro was phenomenal in that game against Kentucky. He had like 24 points. He is a 6'10", 6'11", you know, kind of stretch four, who also loves to have the ball in his hands, get to the basket. He could create his own shot. He could step back and hit the three. He can body you up inside. He's a good rebounder. Not as much of a shot blocker as I would like on the defensive end, but he's just so technically sound offensively that you could just hand on the ball and just say, go to work. He's got moves to beat you in the mid-range, in the low post, out on the perimeter. He can do it all. And there's very high potential that he might be the number one pick in this coming NBA draft. I think if Duke's going to get to the Final Four, they're going to ride the back of him. And I think, you know, as I said, I predicted Duke to get to the Final Four in my preseason Final Four. So if I think they're going to get there, I think they're going to get strong play from a few individuals. And the most important player for their team might be freshman Paulo Bancaro. That's why he's my preseason National Player of the Year. Let's move on to some news and notes around college basketball. This one fresh off the press this morning. That is Tuesday, November 16th. It relates directly back to Duke and Paulo Bancaro. Duke guard Michael Savarino, the grandson of head coach Mike Krzyzewski, and star freshman Paolo Bancaro faced DWI-related charges after Savarino's arrest early on Sunday morning. According to court records, Savarino 
was arrested on DWI charges, and Bancaro was also charged with aiding and abating DWI. Savarino was pulled over early on Sunday morning, and his blood alcohol contact was .08, which is exactly at the legal limit. Bancaro was also charged with aiding in that because it was, according to the court documents, it was Bancaro's car. And so where he is at fault for this is that he was aiding this DUI because he himself was not not good enough to get behind the wheel, but he was at least still in the car and gave over possession of the car to someone else who is not, quote, legally right to drive the car. That's where they both face a few charges here. According to head coach Mike Krzyzewski, he says, we are reviewing a legal matter involving two members of our basketball team. Any further actions as a result of this situation will ultimately be decided by the vice president and director of athletics and university officials. Savarino, who is Coach K's grandson, is due in court on December 9th, while Bancaro is due in, on December 8th. Duke is supposed to play Gardner-Webb tonight. The status of both those players is unknown at this time. And as I said before, Bancaro is a potential number one overall pick in the 22 NBA draft. He's averaging just under 20 points and nine rebounds for the, th- for the first three games of the season. This is obviously a developing matter. I'm sure they will each get hit with a few games suspension. I'm sure they'll find a way to work out the charges. Nobody was harmed in this. It was just they were pulled over and they face some charges. I'm sure they'll get fined. They'll get some tickets. This is an ongoing matter and it involves a high level, two high level people. Even though Savarino is a preferred walk-on who just got on scholarship, the fact that he's Coach K's grandson automatically comes with that extra spotlight and the fact that he was paired with Duke's best player and the potential number one overall pick in next summer's draft means that this is going to be a topic of conversation and something to monitor. Just as an example, Mark Few, had a DUI of his own this summer. He was suspended for three games by the university. That was two exhibitions in one game. I would like to think that Duke would follow somewhere along the same lines. I'm sure these two student athletes may miss a few games. But again, all that is still to be determined. So that's the latest news in college basketball. Let's just get you through the latest top 25 as of this week. Week 2 of the AP Top 25. The top three remain unchanged. That is Gonzaga, followed by UCLA and Kansas. Michigan moves up two spots to number four. Villanova drops from four to five. Purdue up to six. Duke up to seven. Texas falls from five to eight. Baylor drops from eight to nine. And Illinois bumps up to ten, but they will almost certainly be on the downward spiral after their loss to Marquette just last night. That's the top 10. 11 through 20 is Memphis at 11, followed by Oregon, Kentucky, Alabama, Houston at 15, Arkansas, Tennessee, Carolina, Ohio State, and Maryland at 20. Then 21 through 25 is Auburn at 21, St. Bonaventure at 22, UConn at 23, Florida at 24, and USC at 25. Not too much shakeup in, you know, going from one week to the next. So let's get into some of the biggest games from the first week of the season. Let's start with the ones that happened just this past weekend. And we'll start with what I think is and might be the best game of the entire non-conference season in college basketball from two high major and perennial powerhouse programs. It was number four, Villanova, at number two, UCLA. This game was on last Friday night, started 1130 Eastern. 
8.30 local time out at Pauley Pavilion, an on-campus game between two top five teams in the non-conference schedule. Awesome, awesome game. Final score, UCLA 86, Villanova 77. This one went to overtime, and which was a game that Villanova kind of took control of. Despite the fact that UCLA was up by two points at halftime, Villanova was up by as many as 10 halfway through the second half, but just the shot-making for the Wildcats started to fall apart in the end of the second half. Justin Moore picked up his fourth foul. He was on the bench for a little bit. And the fact that... Villanova doesn't go too deep into their bench. That start obviously was certainly a problem. And then for UCLA, Johnny Juzang had a quiet first half, but he came alive and he finished with 25 points. Jaime Jaquez probably had the best game of anybody with 21 points to go along with 13 rebounds. Tyra Campbell came up with huge buckets down the stretch for UCLA, and Villanova just couldn't put this game away. UCLA is one of those teams that just doesn't quit. They always come at you. They are relentless. The fact that they've had more time this offseason to work together and start to kind of take the next step and live up to that preseason hype, that really showed in this game. Villanova had a chance to try and win it in regulation. They got a good luck close to the basket, contested layup attempt. As time was expiring, it rattled out, so it went to overtime, and then Villanova just couldn't make shots in overtime. What plugged them in this in the latter parts of the second half was the fact that they were insistent on still pulling up from three even when it wasn't going in and then their drives to the bucket they were kind of inviting double teams and forcing up shots and it just didn't seem like they had a good offensive flow it looked like different individuals are trying to put this game away for Villanova while in the end it turned out that they were costing the game for their entire team just was you know, it was a, an ugly close to the game for them because they had a chance to pick up a huge win on the road, and they kind of let it slip away. And then over time, they just never found their groove. UCLA took the lead. And then the nine-point win is a nine-point win, but a lot of that was just fouling late and just UCLA making their free throws down the stretch in overtime to put this game on ice. It, throughout the final five minutes of the second half and most of the overtime was pretty much a five-point game either way. All around, it was a solid game. This game had very, very good feel to it. For the second game of the season for both teams, it seemed like these two teams were playing in the second weekend of March. It was awesome. The atmosphere at UCLA was great. The fact that Villanova was taking control of the game on the road and playing that the way that they wanted to play. The fact that UCLA never gives up and clawed their way back into this one. And it showed that these two teams will be around at the end of the season. If there's anything you could take away from this, as I said it before, this was my preseason national championship game. And if the game ended after 35 minutes, Villanova would have won. But the fact that the game went... Did not end after 35 minutes. It went the full 40 and then added five more. So 45 minutes, UCLA had enough to overcome it. I think if these two teams play again, it'll be just as close and competitive. And I think that either team really has the chance to win this matchup. UCLA definitely had an advantage in the post at times. But Miles Johnson, the transfer from Rutgers, was kind of a non-factor despite playing 36 minutes. He finished with just two points and five rebounds. Villanova was able to expose him on the defensive end, pulling him away from the basket and using Eric Dixon more out on the perimeter. And even though Dixon is a good back-to-the-basket player, he did have some moves in the paint. He finished with 11-9. and 
Brandon Slater was good for Villanova. Jermaine Samuels came up with key buckets as they needed it. Gillespie had a great first half and kind of fell cold in the second half. Moore was in foul trouble throughout. But that's the thing with Villanova is the fact that they only played eight guys. Seven of them played more than one minute, and only six of them played more than six minutes. So depth is still always an issue with Villanova, and if they get into foul trouble, that is where things go awry for Jay Wright's squad. As for UCLA, they played nine guys. Seven of them played at least a dozen minutes. But it was the same characters as always. Johnny Juzang, Jaime Jaquez, Tiger Campbell. Jules Bernard had a nice uh, 16 points and nine boards. As I mentioned, Miles Johnson, not much of a factor. Derek Singleton played pretty well for them. Peyton Watson, five-star freshman point guard for UCLA, played just six minutes off the bench. This game was controlled by the upperclassmen, the guys that have been there before, and that's exactly what's going to help these teams win in March because that's what wins in March is not just experience, but also experience in the backcourt between Juzang and Tiger Campbell, between Gillespie and Moore. Both these teams are primed for good success. Again, one of the best games we will see in the entire non-conference slate, if not the best game we will see this non-conference season, UCLA and Villanova. The Bruins pick up a nine-point win on their home floor over another top-five team. Second game I want to touch on on today's show going to keep this a little bit shorter today because we're going to have another show for you later this week on Friday, previewing some of the games for this upcoming weekend. This one was on Saturday night, 10.30 Eastern start, 7.30 local time. Number one, Gonzaga against number five, Kansas. The Zags, 86, and the Longhorns, 74. Gonzaga with a 12-point win on their home floor over the Texas Longhorns. Gonzaga dominated this game from start to finish. And the one player who dominated this game from start to finish, the best returning player in college basketball, the preseason national player of the year, Drew Timmy, 37 points on 15 of 19 from the floor, 7 rebounds in just 38 minutes. It's a career-high 37 for Drew Timmy. The native of Texas really sticking it to a team that under-recruited him out of high school, despite the fact that it wasn't Chris Beard and his staff. Still, it's one of those things that Timmy holds personally, and Gonzaga dominated this game. They showed why they're the number one team in the country. Texas, on the other hand, they're full of a bunch of transfers, new faces, and new places, and they're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Just the second game of the season for them, but one that Chris Beard and his staff can take a look at and see how they can adjust from here on out. Other people making an impact for Gonzaga in this game was not Chet Holmgren, the number one recruit in the class of 2021. The 7-1 freshman center played just 23 minutes, scored just two points, and had five rebounds. He also committed four fouls. Rasir Bolton, the transfer from Iowa State, added 16 and Anton Watson had 10 points and five boards off the bench for the Zags. Those are the only three players in double figures. Andrew Nemhard had nine points and eight assists. But it was really just Texas had no answer for Drew Timmy. He had his way in the post, at the high post, whatever he wanted. Drew Timmy had answers. He's going to be a tough player to stop because there's not people that can hang with his moves because his arsenal on the offensive end is so deep. He could go with the hook shot. He could hit the fadeaway jumper. He can pump fake, go up and under. He can take it strong to the hoop. He'll pull up from the elbow. He has a lot of 
lot of different things in his repertoire, and it was on full display in this game against Texas on Saturday night. As for the Longhorns, their best performance was from Utah transfer Timmy Allen. He had 18 points, 6 rebounds, and 4 assists in 31 minutes of action. Texas went with an interesting starting lineup. It, it featured Timmy Allen, transfer from Utah, Christian Bishop, transfer from Creighton, Courtney Ramey, returning starter for the Longhorns, Marcus Carr, transfer from Minnesota, and Andrew Jones, the returner from the Longhorns. They also played a lot of Trey Mitchell, transfer from UMass, Brock Cunningham, he was on the Longhorns last year. Devin Askew, the transfer from Kentucky. This team has so many different players than a year ago. Obviously, it's a whole overhaul of coaching staff. Chris Beard, it was the top hire of any of the hires in college basketball. He's got his work cut out for you because this team has just not played enough together. As I said, you know, they started three transfers. Two others had a big impact off the bench. This team just kind of has... Had such a roster turnover from last year, despite also having key pieces like Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey. But there's no Matt Coleman. There's no Jericho Sims. There's just there's just a lot of the way they play is slightly different. There's just a lot of things working out. Texas. The reason Texas was a top five preseason team was the fact that they enrolled a few of the top transfers in the transfer portal. They brought in the best coach of all hires in college basketball this offseason. They returned a few starters from a team that won the Big 12 tournament just a year ago before being upset in the first round of the NCAA tournament to Abilene Christian. Texas, at the end of the year, will probably be a top 10 team. But at this point right now, this is just their second game playing together. There's a difference going from practices and exhibitions to being on the floor and playing the number one team in the country on the road and trying to figure out who gets the shots who does the offense run through? If this guy doesn't have it, who do we go to next? Where do we go defensively? Do we switch on all these ball screens? Do we? How is our communication? Where is everything else? There's just a lot of questions with this team at this point. That's exactly what you're expected to be. Just the first week of the season with so much, so many different pieces on this team that haven't played together. That's the expectation for this team is that there's going to be a lot of moving parts and things are going to change and everything else. So Texas is a team that, you know, you got to keep your eye on because there's a reason they're a top five preseason team is because of on paper and if everything works out, they're going to be one of the top teams in college basketball. But at the same time, how long is it going to take for them to realize all the different things that have to happen for them to be successful? Clearly playing the number one team in the country in their second game of the season probably wasn't the best thing for building confidence and trying to work to play together. But it's something that Chris Beard made a point of and said in his press conferences after the game that this is something that he wants to continue to do. Whether it be Gonzaga or other high-profile teams, he wants to make sure that his team is adequately tested in the non-conference schedule, and he thinks that this is something that the top teams in college basketball should be making a point of to do in the non-conference season so that it helps everybody involved. Because a team like Gonzaga also benefits from playing a team like Texas because it helps their strength of schedule. It helps them for seeding purposes when we get to March. This only helps you realize where your team is at at the beginning of the season. What can we work on? How do we match up against the other top teams in the sport? We see it with the Champions Classic. We see it with some of these other premier non-conference matchups and these tournaments over the Thanksgiving weekends and things like that. That's where we see the best non-conference matchups. But this is the time of year to play the best teams in the country that you don't get to play once conference play starts. And I think both... 
Chris Beard and Mark View made a good point of that this is something they want to continue because this is how their team is going to get better. This is how we're going to help each other. We need to do this more. This is what college basketball is all about. Don't play these games at regional or neutral sites. Play these games on campus. Let's do home and homes. One year at Gonzaga, the next year at Texas, whatever it is, just to make it a true, true environment. And also that we're putting the best games and the best teams forward. And I think for the non-conference season, that is crucial in terms of keeping eyeballs engaged on the sport. Because although college basketball doesn't really come into the national spotlight until the NFL playoffs really start to wind down and college football ends first or second week of January, that's when we're kind of into the thick of the NFL playoffs. So college basketball is more on the horizon. Conference play is getting in a swing. You're seeing more and more college basketball. But if you want to have college basketball stand out in the non-conference schedule, especially on the game like Villanova-UCLA on a Friday night where there's not a high-profile college football game, there's no NFL games, that's when you have to schedule these really good non-conference, top-tier college basketball games. Because that's how you get people already thinking of college basketball. First week of the season, oh, hey, these two teams are supposed to be good. This is great. Oh, and then the game like that, it goes to overtime. It draws people in. The real issue with this one was the fact that the UCLA-Villanova game didn't start till 11.30 Eastern, so people weren't staying up to watch it. But that's, you know, that can be, you know, worked out. But there's not a chance you're going to get a premier national television spotlight on a you're not getting premier national television spotlight on a Saturday or Sunday during the middle of college football and NFL season. So playing on these other days where there's not as many of those games and playing high-profile games in a primetime audience, that's how you get eyeballs on the sport earlier and earlier. And I think it's something, since scheduling is all school-by-school school based, it's something that the coaches kind of have to take on to themselves. And we're starting to see more of them acknowledge that and realize that if they want to put their team in the best spot going forward. They're going to have to play some more of these games. It's something we're going to see on a more in-and-out basis. That'll kind of cover up everything we want to talk about today. We'll also, as I said, try and bring you a show on Friday. We're going to be trying to come to you twice a week. Last week, I know we didn't get a single show off before the season started or a recap of after things happened. Just we're trying to change that. We're trying to set a good precedent for this year and try and deliver more college basketball content to your feed. So again, we'll try and come to you Friday and that'll be more of a weekend preview. We'll give out some picks and we'll get into tracking our season long bets and things like that. So that'll do it for this episode of Storming Court. Thanks so much for listening. Again, you could always follow the show on Twitter at Rye underscore Colin. That's R-Y underscore C-O-N-N-E-L-L. Please make sure to share the show with anyone who may be interested in college hoops. That'll do it for this episode of Storm in the Court. Thanks so much again for listening. We'll talk to you next time.